Okay. So, Zach, um, let's just get comfortable. First, let me formally introduce you and welcome you to the Sober is Dope podcast and the Sober is Dope experience. Um, it's really an honor to have you. I know we've been playing a little cat and mouse and uh, we're both busy guys, but I'm glad you're here today. And um, can you just take a moment and really just uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first off, it's an honor to be here and I love everything you do. Like, I, I'm just way into it. Um, so that's why I reached out to you because I, I just love what you do. But anyway, yeah, um, my name's Zach Rutledge and, uh, I guess the reason I'm here is because I wrote a book called the official, the official depression relief playbook. And, um, you know, as the title would suggest, I went through some pretty serious bouts of depression. Um, and you know, if you were wondering why you should listen to me, <laughs> why I wrote this book, you know, uh, some of my credentials are, you know, I'm a, I'm a black belt in karate. I'm a new yoga teacher. I'm a personal trainer, fitness nutrition specialist. I'm a brain trainer. And I kind of like collected all of those things. And I put all those things in the book to kind of help people get over that hump a little quicker than I did. Right. Yeah. Which hump? Was that um, depression and it's a mental health thing? Because we covered that a lot. Was there any components of addiction in there? There wasn't. I was lucky enough to just not have that at all. That's amazing. Yeah. And I played in a, like, I mean, I still play in a lot of bands, but at the time when it was real bad, I was playing in bands and um, I was around a lot of it. And uh, I actually just lost our drummer a couple of years ago to a heroin overdose. Oh man, that must be tough. That's <clears> tough. <throat> that's tough. So yeah. So that's, you know, one of the reasons I love what you do. I mean, I've been around it, but it's just, I just don't have that gene. I don't have that addictive personality with the thing, you know, everybody's got their quirks, but mine is, mine was depression and uh, anxiety. Yeah. So we know that depression is a is really a big issue in the addiction community. Yeah. It's a worldwide issue, mainly because when people experience depression, they tend to self-medicate in multiple yeah. ways. It could be people use sex, people use eating, people use drugs and alcohol. Um, and it was a big that's a big pain point for me in my early process. So I'm excited to talk to you about it because it's not quite often we have someone who comes on that really could say, Hey, that was a thing of my past. Usually it's everyone talking about how they overcome and conquer addiction, but you actually conquered depression. And that's something that everyone is dealing with, especially being, you know, post pandemic and stuff like that. We really have to be kind of mindful of how sensitive the environment is. So can you give us a little bit of insights on your the, the state of your depression what was the what do you think was the causes and how bad was it yeah so like i had like a pretty quote-unquote normal childhood right even though there's no such thing but it was stable for the most part right right and like looking back now that i have the insight i could see that there were some kind of things popping up in my teenage years but i figured i was just a moody punk rocker i just thought that's how i was and it wasn't until i was 18 when I call it the perfect storm hit. So it was just after high school. I just graduated high school, about to go to college. And um, my best friend was killed. Um, all my friends were leaving for college. So I had no like support system there. Um, my karate school closed down, which I had been in for eight years, which wow. is tough. And, and there tends to be this, this pattern where like quirks, let's say, like we said, tend to pop up. So like in your late teens, early 20s, and it was just that it was right at that time when everything spiked up and um, 
And it got dark and it got real dark for those first couple of years. And it took me about, to be honest, about 10 years to get out. I was doing it pretty much solo. Um, but I, I built myself back up brick by brick and just learning these things along the way. And that's really what I condensed down into this book. So I'm just, my mission now, like you are trying to help, you know, like addicts or people just get sober, really. It's really kind of your mission right now. My right. mission is helping people with depression. And there's a lot of crossover there. Right. And I'm, and I'm trying to get them, you know, to where I am now, but in a way quicker, you know, time span. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a 10 year span. You're young, right? You experience grief and loss because of, you know, one of your friends died and then you lost your, your karate school closed down. So what we, we've been studying and really focusing on this in the Sober's Dope podcast is grief, pain, and loss and how that affects the brain negatively in most cases and as a form of trauma right yeah. so when we experience any form of rejection whether it's a divorce a breakup you know you lose your job someone dies in the family we know the brain goes to neuroplasticity and can have a negative effect and change and then you could develop these depressive symptoms so it may be a link there between you losing your friend you're young right that's a that's traumatic Right. Mm -hmm. Then there's kind of comfort, you know, your backbone was martial arts and then the school closes. These are compounded forms of loss. So is there right. any connection in your research between loss, depression, grief and depression? There is. But first off, I should just say that grief and depression are two different things. Right. Uh, one can set off another. But I just want to get this one out of the way so we understand it. Right. Grief is something everybody has to go through. Correct. Okay. And you can medicate, you can self-medicate and you can try to get around it, but at some point you've got to get over that mountain. Okay. Yes. And that, right. that's everyone. Depression, you don't have to go through. Now, now grief can bring on depression, right? So especially right. if you're, um, they call it dysthymia. So if you're dysthymic. Yeah. High functioning, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, so like if there's a, if there's a traumatic event, that can spin you out of control and spin you into a depression. So they are kind of two different things, but, but they can, there is a relationship there. Yeah. Yes. Because when we was doing, you know, a, a lot of my research started from tracing back bereavement for the death of my father. Right. right so yeah. when my dad died out of that grief, um, it manifested as a form of depression in me. So the grief and the loss really did a number on me and I changed a lot. Right. I, I started to withdraw. I started to deal with a lot of negative emotions and I just isolated myself. And then I realized that I was experiencing, you know, like you said, dysthymic depression, because I was high functioning and I didn't seem like I was um, depressed, but I was, and it didn't take, it took me almost fast forward, almost 15 to 20 years later when I was actually diagnosed um, in, in rehab that they were saying like you, my, my, so they took a biopsychosocial and my psychiatrist was saying like, you're so depressed and sad. It doesn't even, you, you seem like you're bouncing off the walls and you're the happiest person in the world. But they was like, your serotonin levels is all the way down here. A normal person is up here as far as their state of happiness. You're all the way down here. We need to get you to a normal state. But the thing for me was I'm the life of the party. I'm pop. I'm energetic. I'm always, mm -hmm. so it was amazing that I was experiencing this extreme form of depression and sadness that I was carrying around with my addiction, but it never really showed, it never showed itself that way. It always mm -hmm. seemed like I was happy, but I wasn't. 
And yeah. it's, and that was a lot because it's complex. So, all right. So in your case, going back, so let's go back again. How did, do you think that losing your friend and the loss of your martial arts school or your school closing had some effect on you or did, was that the beginning um, of your depression? Is there a correlation there? I think, I honestly think the depression would have hit me either way. I just think they corresponded with each other. It was just oh. like, you know, you know, my friend, I lost my friend, which was obviously a traumatic thing. I, I, I got diagnosed with secondary PTSD, you know, years later, but, um, you know, the karate school thing was just that I lost my support system, just added to, you know, that I lost right. that support system. That's something that people have to go through, but it was just kind of like compounded. Right. So that that depression was you know tough it was it was it was real tough right um and this sounds kind of crazy right i'm sorry i'm getting a little off topic but i could feel the difference between my grief and my depression right so like oh. when i i remember being at work and i was crying and it felt cleaner because i was mm. crying for him and it, it sounds crazy right if anybody hasn't experienced depression but it felt cleaner like when my depression hit me it felt like, like another thing sounds weird, right? But it feels like all the colors drained out of the world. Wow, I like that. Um, and then, you know, slowly I started kind of getting color back, right? And it was like building myself back up brick by brick, like I said. Right. Um, so, yeah, it got, it got super dark. I don't really talk about my story a whole lot in the, in the book or anything because I don't want to bore people. I'm just trying to get people out, um, you know, but it's um, – and I also don't want people to think that, you know, because our stories aren't exactly the same, that they don't have the hope, right? Because you don't have the exact same story as anyone, right? Nobody has the no. exact same story as someone. But I bet you think, or I bet you know, that anybody who's sucked in, the one thing that unifies us is we can get out of it, right? That's the yes. one thing we have in common. Right. That's what I'm really trying to push, yeah. And it's not a lifetime sentence. It's not a death sentence. No, it's not. I've I think a lot of people feel that. And um, uh, I just it's important for us to talk about it. And your story is important, like my story is important because it gives someone hope. You know, there's this real stigma and negative idea of what mental health is still in the world. And we're trying to break that stigma. And it's also the tools that we use to overcome mental health. That's still a, a issue. People frown upon therapy. They think it's not for you have to be crazy. This concept of crazy or insane. And there's many of us who are walking around with some form of mental health condition or something, some underlining something yeah. that I don't think you could go through a whole lifetime unscathed without dealing with some form of anxiety, some form of depression, some form of sadness, something, right? The brain is a definite, uh, a definitely a sensitive thing. You said something that really sparked my interest because I'm like a nerd for this stuff. You said that you work on brain, the brain health. And yeah. brain. Well, talk to us about that. What, what, what Tell me about that. And how did you get into looking at the brain and what exactly do you do there? <laughs> All right. So I just did a presentation on this last week. So I'm a brain health trainer through the Functional Aging Institute, right? Mm -hmm. So like it's part of your continuing education credits. It was just like one of those things I did through my personal training, right? Because you got to okay. take these extra classes. So like I was, I was doing that. And my passion is helping people. So I was doing, you know, the, the personal training and the nutrition stuff. And I was like, well, how can I step this up? 
And um, I'm, I'm actually going to grad school starting in January to become like a, like a psychotherapist. Nice. So I was like, I want to do something like, I want to understand the brain a little bit more. So it's, it's, uh, it's run by the dudes who do the Pacific Brain Health Center in California. Okay. And you probably don't know who that is, but uh, they also train under Daniel Amen. And you may know who that yeah, is. Yeah, that's my guy. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's my guy. So they train under him too. So, so it's a lot of his stuff there. And um, it's real interesting. Like you're essentially, you're, you're building up, they call it cognitive reserve, right? Through these different exercises that we have. Okay. And so that means that you're, gonna, you're building so much gray and white matter. You're making it so dense that when you get older and some of it starts to deteriorate, you're not going to notice it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Your brain is so healthy. Right. It's, it's not gonna it's not gonna have any effect on you it's super interesting stuff yeah i, I love that i love that um dr amen is the man i love him he yeah. was the first doctor to really actually say you know how are you going to diagnose someone for a brain condition without looking at the brain right you yeah. have to use brain imagery which was amazing right um yeah. and i always i've been i was fascinated by that so we talk about building the gray matter building this white matter you know we use mindfulness techniques meditation we have these things called the longevity effect um the telomere effect or how you could the lifestyle choices we make can yeah. affect our longevity and our yeah. on our overall health it all it all coincides together so this aspect of your book you and myself that i find fascinating is that we cover many topics to get around healing right so you're talking you you're doing personal training nutrition right you're doing all of these things you're looking at the brain for me for me to really have the success, I had to meditate. I had to learn about my brain. I had to learn about my mental health. I had to actually do the to um, take um, medication. I had to learn about vitamins and nutrition, nutrition deficiencies and stuff like that. I had to pray. I had to go to AA. I had to do all of these things, kind of, yes. to become yes. this well-rounded person in healing. So you're you're doing the same thing. I call it the all-in approach. You have yes. like this, right? Right. Thank Talk you. to us about that. Yeah, cool. So we're on the same page here. I call it the D-Day approach. Okay. Which is, which is kind of morbid, right? Maybe I'll call it the all-in approach now. <laughs> like, yeah, because you're coming at it with everything. Because, like, you know, figure if something makes a 10% difference, and then something else makes a 10% difference, something else makes a 10% difference. Okay, well, now we're going to get somewhere when we start compounding all these things, right? Right. It's kind of like almost like a one plus one equals four type thing. Like, when you start adding them together, it's not just going to be the sum. It's going to be like this this compounding thing, right? Right. So, yeah, like I, I, I absolutely love that. And I want people to get out of the mindset of like the silver bullet approach. Right. Because okay. there's there's nobody who is like, oh, I'm going to work out out of and to get my out of my addiction. Like once I once I weigh, you know, 250 pounds of muscle, I'll be out of my addiction. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. You got to you, you got to combine it. You got to combine and it works the same thing. It's the same exact thing with, with depression. You got to combine all these things. I just love what you said, man. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah, we're on the same page. And, you know, going back a bit, I always like to go all the way back. You was talking about, um, it's just it's the book that's come to mind is But the Body Keeps the Score. Oh, and yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Right, right on. Yeah. And you was talking about how grief is something that you have to go through, right? And we know that unprocessed emotions based on this book and this study, it gets stuck in the body, right? So I like to explain to people that 
there's no easy way out, like the Rocky song. There's no easy way out. There's no <laughs> shortcut home, right? But the thing about it is, like, you have to, you know, it's very important for us to, to explain to people the importance of not hiding your emotions, not suffocating them, really talking to, talking to someone. Talk therapy is yes. really amazing for me. That helped me. Um, confiding in someone. This also leads to shame also. Shame, there's this, this like overlap between shame, guilt, depression, sadness, addiction. All of this stuff is connected and I'm putting the pieces together somewhat, some, somehow though over the years of interviewing people and looking at myself as kind of like a case study, I'm like, damn, man, I had to deal with the shame. I had to understand the difference between the shame and the guilt. I had to talk. I had to process my emotions. I had to talk about the death of my father because that was something that was bothering me. So can you talk to us about that? Like, I call it like the, for lack of a better term, you know, fin you know, finish what you start or following through with the process of dealing with the underlying trauma, the emotions, yeah. talking to someone. Well, first off, we got to drop the shame. There is no shame in this, right? Like you're not going to shame somebody who weighs 300 pounds and they're trying to lose some weight, right? Like right. You, would never, you would never shame them for that, right? And just like when people take medication for anything, right? For depression, let's just say, for taking medication. Well, you wouldn't shame somebody for taking medication for diabetes. No. So like, why are you going to shame somebody for a, just, it's just a different organ. And I do think, you know, our generation, it's changing. I do think attitudes are changing, but I mean, we're still in that, in that mindset where people are like afraid to go into the self-help section of a bookstore. Cause like they're embarrassed, right? They're right. like, Oh, they're afraid people are going to be judging them. Like, Oh, that's for broken people. Right. Just like therapy, wow. broken people, but that's, but that's not the case. Right. So, right. you know, right. You're on the inside. So like, you know, and there's more and more people like you out there, putting the word out. Right. So, right. so that's good. Um, Pop, I forget your question, man. I'm sorry. I'm like, nah, I'm trying it, to agree it, with no, you. No, no, right? you, you did well. Oh, you no, did no, well. I got you. I got you. No, right. no, no. I, I got well, Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cause you were saying, you know, essentially, and I want to drive this home. Like you got to put in the work just like you were saying. Yes. Um, you have that's to. really what it comes down to. Right. Cause it's not like, it's not osmosis. You're not going to sit there. You're not going to read a book and just lay down. And it's all going to happen. No. Right. You, you got to put in the work every single day, but here's the thing. It's not like it's hard work, but it's not like painful work. You know what I mean? Like, right. like parts of it will be painful. Like if you're in therapy, things like that, but it's, it's going to be so rewarding. It's so worth it. So you, you just, you got to put in the work that you got to have that drive every day to put in that work. And that's, you know, th that's really seconding what you said yeah i love it can we talk about how yo well, yoga um how okay. i i i'm fascinated by it i never really started to practice i practice more of the meditation side of it and um you know the, the 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 mental part of it but i think the physical practice is equally as powerful can you talk to us on how that helped you in your journey and any benefits it may have for depression Oh, yeah, yeah. So yoga is a big deal in my life, right? So but I got into that because of because of martial arts, like, I, I couldn't fight anymore. I dislocated my shoulders. And oh, man, even even like fighting is a weird term, right? Because we're not, you know, we're all right. friends there, right? Okay. But, um, you know, so yoga was my new my new martial art. It was my new like, um, somatic thing, right? Somatic right. Uh, therapy, I guess you could say, okay. right? And so here's my big thing with yoga. So if you love anybody with depression, I would say to them, hey, 
would you mind coming with me to yoga class? I'm a little shy. Would you mind coming with me? I think that's the perfect thing to say because if you get them to go to yoga class, first off, well, you're getting them out of the house. Second, you're making them feel good about it, right? Because they're doing you a favor. But then you're also getting them moving around. They're using their body. They're learning new things. They're having fun. And then they got the whole social aspect. And you don't have a lot of jerks in yoga classes, right? So you're going to be around probably some pretty nice people. So that's like, I just think it's one of the most effective ways to kind of shake people loose and get them when they're in a real deep, deep depression. That's, I, that's one of the things I wish people had done to me was say, hey, would you mind coming with me? Um, one of the most effective things because you're, you're bringing in, you know, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you're bringing it all in. So, and you're getting the built-in right. meditation, like you said, it, it's, a, it's super powerful. Right. Have you ever um, had a chance to read the autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda? It's dude. It's literally on my shelf. Uh, <laughs> I haven't read it. I haven't it? read it. But but to be fair, but to be fair, <laughs> to to become like a yoga teacher, we had to read six books. So I'm okay. Still- I'm finishing that up. I got another week to do that. So yeah. yes, yes, that's a that's an excellent book. Um, it talks about that. That talks about more about the Vedic principles and the higher principles of meditation. And it's just it's a really it's a paramount. I was fascinated with him ever since a young man, right? And um, and it took me years to read it. That's a book that you'll read in pieces, but it, it brought it back to it brought it back to the fore. Yeah, I definitely I want to get into a yoga practice. I I I injured my back about two years. Ago, that was my apprehension but i think it can help me because i need to be more mobility is another thing that's important being mobile and mobile um so um i'm definitely gonna take it up i'm I'm gonna use you as motivation and probably look at this if you're ever here let me know you can hop into one of my classes if you're ever in jersey again you're not that far i'm I'm in new jersey and you're in brooklyn for listeners who don't know that right but um yeah if you're around just hop into one of my classes and it's it is real good for injuries, man. I think that's what, another reason I think everybody should be doing it. I love it. So I want to shift to the next part of our topic, which is extremely important, is nutrition and mental health. Now, we know that excessive sugar, excessive fatty foods and stuff plays on our dopamine reward centers that creates really negative behavior patterns on how we use food. And we also know that there's studies that suggest that inflammation from sugar and junk food can lead to depressive symptoms. So we know nutrition is extremely foundational for me. I mean, if my diet is off, I look like crap, I feel like crap, it all works together. If you look good, you're going to be less inclined to feel terrible. You're going to be, you're going to have one step up. It's like that 10% we was talking about. Can you talk about your journey in nutrition and how that helped you with depression and just help you be optimal in an optimal state of health? Yeah. So to put things into perspective right now, I'm five, nine and I'm 170 pounds, which means nothing. Right. But I'm a personal trainer. I work out six days a week. So that's not a lot of fat, right? Right. Five, nine, 170. Cut back to then. I was 5'9", 123 pounds. So I was almost 50 pounds lighter. (laughs) So what I was doing was I was just taking, you know, all the the surface advice, like the things I would see on the news or like on TV about how you should eat less and then you'll feel better. So that's what I was doing and without like the knowledge. So um, it wasn't until I started like dialing in my diet that I started to like and working out at the same time, right? Started gaining building that muscle and feeling like I could like, um, I didn't feel 
sick anymore. <laughs> I didn't feel like, you know, and that made a big difference on my mood, of course, you know, not feeling sick anymore. But I also had that sense of pride, like, oh, I can build muscle, like, or that sense of hope, I should say, like, if I can gain 10, then 20, then 30 pounds of muscle, you know, through dialing in my diet, that's going to help. You know, that's like, it's like, I have some kind of control here in my life. Like, this is, this is pretty good. On top of that, I should note this, you know, most people don't know this. You actually create 90 to 95% of your serotonin in your gut, not in your brain. Mm -hmm. So getting that inflammation down is important. Also getting the right foods in you that like, um, that only work for you. And, and let me put it this way. I think everybody should get, um, uh, an allergy test or an intolerance test. Right. Okay. And they'll test you for a, a bunch of different foods, but everybody's a little different. That sounds lazy, but it's true. So like, for me, I know if I have a glass of milk, it's not going to end well. Right. So okay. like, I'm okay. Like I, <laughs> yeah. but I know other people who like just feel a little bit off and they're like, uh, I'm not sure, but that's creating all that information, all the information in their gut. And right. they, like you said, there's direct links between the inflammation. And if you can get that, if you're lucky enough to be able to get one of those allergy tests, that's a big deal. Because right. then you can just be like, okay, if I cut all these things out and I can start getting my, my gut in the right order, you know, it's like all these things working together, right? You know, right. you get that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, I, I don't want to keep you all night, but I could talk to you about it all night. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely fascinated also. Um, and for me, I had to, I, so I went on this journey when I first got, when I first found my, hold on, I'm sorry. Let me just turn this down. When I first found my recovery, I went, so your brain, your dopamine receptors are starting to rebuild after you, I dealt with, my drug of choice is alcohol. So with alcoholism, you really compromise your dopamine receptors. Every time you have a drink, your brain, alcohol floods your brain with dopamines, totally robs your, affects your dopamine receptors through time. Your dopamine receptors get weaker and weaker. And when you get sober, your brain starts to attempt to repair that process. So you, that's how you feel kind of crappy. They have those different post-acute withdrawal. For me, what for most addicts and people that's dealing with that, they tend to want to load up on sugar and stuff that gives them fuel, fast fuel for their brain. So I was doing everything. I was good as long in my mind, as long as I was sober, I could eat whatever I want. I'm doing good, but then I developed prediabetes and then my health started to decline. And that's when I really had to get serious about my nutrition process, which that led me to first the keto diet. And then from the keto diet, that led me to the plant-based diet. And now I'm somewhere between healthy keto, plant-based and stuff like that. I also practice intermittent fasting, which helps me greatly um, because of autophagy, cell cleaning, just having that window to clean your body out. Dr. Longo is the premier doctor on fasting and all good things, um, uh, intermittent fasting related. And um, it, it makes a big difference. I, I really have to say that it makes a gigantic difference in my health, my mood, how I feel about myself. And you're right. Now I'm able through intermittent fasting and understanding my the what foods that I can tolerate, I'm able to really build healthy muscle. And it feels good, man. It does something with your self-esteem. They always say muscle is expensive. So, you know, once you have it, it does send positive signals to the rest of your body and your cells that you're, you know, that you have vitality. So I tell people you need some type of, you want to maintain some healthy muscle weight. Um, and instead of focusing so much on your weight, focus more on how you feel 
right? Don't look at the waistline. Just focus on how you feel and time and give it time. I don't believe in fad diets. I don't believe in crash diet. I believe in lifestyle modifications. Um, you know, so I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, we're speaking the same language. I, I, I mean, you said it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So it, um, in your book, um, is there any other topics that you discussed that's outside of um, that we may not have time? Like, what's the one driving force that you want to bring home in your book? I think for someone who has no idea if they had depression, but they feel like crap, someone who may just come across it, what would they get out of it um, that could really help them go from not really understanding anything to pretty much being able to get the help that they need it's well first off you got to build a team nice. you, you can't do it alone um so and, and a lot of it's a lot of guys who are like you know they want to feel like they're they're in total control and you, you really are but you got to just think of yourself as like the manager of a team like you're the you're the you're the CEO, however you want to put it, right? right? So like, I couldn't have done it without my therapist and I couldn't have done it without even my primary care doctor who got me on medication. And that was the very last thing I did, which, you know, and I could have been okay without it, but, but you know, um, I'm better now, like, you know, right. because of it, right? Right, right. Um, and she was really, really good about like explaining to me that if I don't like the medication, I thought, oh, it's just come off. You know, it's, it's right. not like... Um, something permanent. And, and she was the one who told me, and I feel like this is important to let people know, you know, like when I went on the medication, there were side effects, but, but I know a lot of people who quit after a week, but those side effects, if you give it a few weeks, they all go away. So like, mm. that's another important thing, right? Right. I'm kind of going on and on here. But. Oh no, it's important. <laughs> believe, you know, Zach, believe it or not, it's those little nuances that could change someone's life, you know? I, yeah. You know, it's things that I just, I wish I had known. Cause like I said, it was a solo journey. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into my story, like I said, but it was, it was a solo journey. And I, it was just things I wish I had known. Now, like I wrote the book for the 20 year old me, basically. I'm trying. I to love that. Out. I love yeah. that. I, you know, I did sober is dope for the 20 year old me too. Like <laughs> if I came across this podcast when I was younger, I think it would have made a, a real difference in how my life played out exactly. because it's not that many people who were speaking to me at that time. And yeah. it's important to, to have compassion on the next generation because they're figuring it out just like us. They're deep. They they have access to the internet and all of these things. And a lot of people are self-medicating. They're confused. And depression is tough, man. I, you know, I still do. Look, I think we all have, like, the way the world is the, the way the world is unfolding it's hard to believe that people don't go through these it, it, like we was talking about intimate and fasting but i feel like there's intimate and bouts of depression that people could experience just the news my biggest thing is don't watch the news i tell people there's no reason you could you could have a real working understanding of what's happening with current events through other means the the news is a business that's built on selling fear to sell advertisement space and newspapers and stuff like that. Pop, I don't think I had to come on this show. It's like I'm talking to myself here. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's deep. I went through the same journey as you, and I, I think we asked the same questions, you know, but the news forgot. I mean, one, I put the news on within the first five minutes. More negative things that I may have heard in the whole month. 
just in the five minute, like this person, this, this thing had, and I'm like, well, why don't they highlight, why is it not balanced? Why don't they have a positive news channel? Because it doesn't sell. People love fear. People, they, they want to, that's what sells, right? Doesn't mean that's the reality. They take a snapshot of everything that happened in a nation and feed it to you within a 30 minute window. Yeah. And you know what else they love? They love being angry and that we got to cut that out. Right. Separation, you know, red versus blue, Republican versus Democrat. All of that stuff is just it takes us away from our primary calling, which is to love, to live, to nurture and to advance our our species to the next level um, in a harmonious way with the right vibrations and the right positive intentions, because we cannot survive another 10,000 years if we're going to be doing it through hate, division, anger, fear, and all of these negative constructs. It just doesn't work. Um, And forgiveness is one of the biggest ideas, right? He's taking these words out of my mouth, man. And I think we can wrap. I want to sit here for a minute. I think forgiveness is one of the things that helped me get out of the, the mental health slump, uh, the mental illness slump, because I had to learn to forgive myself and to start to forgive others. Can you talk about that for us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, I was talking about that on another podcast, you know, um, you know, and you hit it on the head, you know, of course, you want to forgive yourself. And and we we do talk about that more often. But you know, people are going to say stupid things to you. And it's sometimes it's because they just don't understand because they can't understand they're not addicted or they don't have depression. Like they don't get it. They're going to say stupid things to you or it's because it's something they're going through. Right. So you got to practice that, that forgiveness for them too. Cause that's not your weight to carry around. Right. You know, um, pop, you're cracking me up, dude. This is like, <laughs> this is like- hey, I love it. I love it. You know, when it, <laughs> when, when something is seated, seated within the truth, there's a lot of commonalities, right? And yeah. I think between us, I, I think we're very serious about what we had to go through. Um, and for me, it's still it, it, it's scary because I remember how dark it could get. And I think yeah. that darkness is why I think we're doing what we're doing. We don't want someone else to sit there and feel that level of despair without knowing that there's a way out. Or at least there's a road to travel, right? Um, so therapy, I want to talk about therapy. Have you ever dealt with there have you ever went to see an actual therapist psychiatrist or psychologist yeah yeah so so what i did was i went to one i was like 18 or 19 and i went once it didn't work and i was like okay i guess it's not for me because i I, and but the thing was i tried one lady right and this is like a relationship you're building here people don't think about about it that way it wasn't until my fourth therapist that it finally started like working for me um, wow. so you got to think about it that way. Cause I remember I, the third lady I went to, she was like real, like, um, like by the book, like very methodical and very formal. And I'm a very informal guy. Right. <laughs> it just, you know, and it just wasn't working for me. It wasn't right. working for me. And it wasn't right. until finally, it was actually a, a, a college professor I had not, he said he had a private practice and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go to him. I already kind of know him. And that, that worked out. So, you know, if you're lucky enough to do it, if, if, if you're lucky enough to have the, the means to do it, you right. know, it's worth going through a few of them. And, you know, and I should note, you know, there are resources out there for um, for people who can't afford it, too. There are resources. It just takes a little bit of digging. 
Right. And they have all of these new online apps and these different places you could go yeah. where it's like $25 a session and stuff. They made they make it affordable. Well, luckily in New York, we get we have I don't know. New York has a really good health care and it's really easy to get um to, to see someone if you need to. For me, what I did was I went to a therapist first. Because a therapist can, I, I did a whole episode on this, where a therapist can pretty much recommend you to see a psychiatrist, which could then turn around and diagnose you or prescribe you or diagnose you or prescribe you medication, right? Yeah. Um, so my therapist was cool. She was really cool. And it was fun because I was a lot, yeah, what they were talking about eight years ago. So I was just, just early in my 30s. Um, and I was just like, kind of like, oh man, you know, this 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 lady, she's 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 beautiful. At the same time, she's young, she's hip, but she's smart, she's sharp, she understood me, and it was cool. I was intense, and she was able to say, "Okay, you know, Joe, this is what I suggest for you. I want to recommend you to the psychiatrist." And it was this beautiful Japanese lady, and then she was like, "You're real cool. I like you. I like it." The way she explained it, and I think they had to take a biopsych social. And I tell people the importance of the biopsych social. It really helps, kind of like it gives the psychiatrist and the the um the caseworkers a really good snapshot an overall snapshot of who you are your childhood your your, your personality type your behavior it, it it creates this unique profile and when my psychiatrist first met me she was like you know everything was god this universe this aliens and and fourth dimension and vibrations and it was just crazy i was all over the place and when she took my biopsych social she came to me and said joe i got good news joe i got she was like this is amazing. Your biopsych social says you're not crazy and that all of these things that you believe in is actually part of who you are. And it's exciting because it all makes sense now. You really, I can't separate, say she called me Joe. I can't separate Joe from all of this spiritual stuff. It's like, you really, this is who you are. I think you should embrace it. And it, and it, for the first time, I didn't feel crazy because I was always extreme like that. I was always like, big on miracles and taking leaps of like gigantic leaps of faith and all of this stuff. But it was part of who I really was. And then it was like, all you just need is some well butrin to help you with your serotonin levels, because that would make you feel better. And I did that in conjunction with the meditation, the exercising and everything. And look, we here today, eight years later. That's and, and it's amazing. Right. And this is what we're talking about, breaking the stigma of mental illness, because it was nothing wrong with me. It was just that I had a few bumps and scrapes and I try to self-medicate and deal with it myself. And like you said, the only difference between myself and you, uh, and you was that you don't have an allergy. I did. Mm -hmm. So. Right. So I took that one drink as a form of escape and couldn't get off of it. And it just took time to heal. So I'm so excited to speak to you today, Zach, because you're going to give a lot of people hope. And although you don't want to go deep into your story, what we will get from this episode is that you did the work to heal. Oh, that's what it takes. It takes the work. Right. And I want to ask you the most direct question I could ever ask you. How are you doing today? Are you struggling? Is it still times where you have to where you still go through mild depression? Uh, I know it's a lifetime thing. How are you doing? I care about you as a friend. I just want to check in with you. I'm doing well. You know, like I, I hesitate to say that I conquered it. That's how right. it feels to me. But I hesitate to say it because I put in the work. Like I still do all these steps every day. I live it, right. you know, like, um, 
So if I stopped everything, maybe I would slide back, mm. but I'm not going back there. Right, right, <laughs> I'm right. Keeping doing the work, right? I'm keeping growing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So what's next for you? Um, you have your book, you do you you you're going for your master's degree, you have you're a martial art guy, you're doing yoga, you're doing everything, you're into nutrition. Yeah. What's what's next for you, Zach? What's on the table? Dude, I can't take on anymore. <laughs> maybe maybe a podcast out of line. You never know. I, I don't know. I don't know. know. You're already doing a good job. I'll thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, but um, yeah, I mean, um, can you tell us? So before we go and before we wrap, I just want to really thank you. It's exciting. I can't talk to you all day. And I would like you to come on more as like our in-house expert in different subjects. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm honored, man. I'd love to. For sure. Yeah, because I like the way you think. I like your flexibility and you re you're really well-rounded. And I think the approach, um, the D, would you say the DD approach, the doomsday -day. approach? Yeah. The D-Day approach, I love it. And the all-in approach, we got to, you know, I think they're important for the future of um, healing. Yeah. No matter what industry we're in, we're healing. We're healing on a cellular level, mental level, spiritual level, psychological level. It's yeah. all levels of healing. You're so right. I want to thank you for joining us today. And can you tell everyone again where they can find your book, any closing remarks that you may have and how anyone could get in touch with you via social media. The yeah, floor yeah. is yours. The, the book is just called the official depression relief playbook and uh, you can get it on Amazon. <clears throat> um, real good as a gift. You know, a lot of people with depression don't seek out the help. So this would be a nice gift to give somebody. Um, but aside from that, if you want to hit me up, you can just email me. It's just, I'll spell it for you. It's Zach S Rutledge at gmail.com. And it's Z A C K S R U T L E D G E at gmail.com. And really the last thing is, you know, I, I really don't want anyone to give up hope. Um, I, you know, people are always saying, Oh, it could be worse. It could be worse. That's a lot of times people would say that to me, but right. I, I need you guys to remember it could be better. You can make it better. That's, that's the message I want to get across. It can be for everyone. I love it. I love it. And that brings me to post-traumatic growth. And I like to leave there. We can grow out of a traumatic experience. Um, you know, Michael Tedeschi was the founder of the concept of PTG, which is post-traumatic growth. And we can grow through post-traumatic stress disorder. And I, out of it all, come out on a positive side with a positive outlook stronger and more refined so zach thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you for joining us over as dope today we're gonna take you up on yoga we're gonna take you up on making sure we optimize our nutrition we're gonna take you up on a dd approach and we're gonna pick up your book ladies and gentlemen you're listening to the sober is dope podcast i'm your host pop buchanan and that's a wrap for our episode with the great zach rutledge on the sober is dope podcast i love you all and i'll catch you all on the other side hang tight zach all right